Well, good morning. Good morning. It's uh, Joy to be here with you, uh, for my family to be back in Texas, and then uh, been fun for my, my wife, spent a number of years here in, in Fort Worth. She went uh, Southwestern and uh, had lots of friends here, so it's been, it's been sweet for us to come back. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to see even some of the faces who are visiting uh, this morning, and then this church, our church, has been praying for y'all and have been excited for the first time we heard about people dreaming about and asking the Lord to maybe bring this to pass, so uh, it's sweet for me to be here uh, with y'all this morning, so thanks for having my family and I. I'm going to pray once more before we dive into the book of Hebrews. Father in heaven, we thank you for this new day filled with new mercies, and we pray that as we now come to your word, that you would work a miracle, that you would guard us from just being religious people who show up at the right place at the right time, stand up when we're supposed to, sit down when we're supposed to, put money where we're supposed to, and dress the part and look the part. Would you rather, by your spirit, help us through your word to behold Jesus and to be radically changed? Would you make us a people who believe what your word says? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to believe, affections that are raised, wills that are surrendered, and bodies that are readied to do whatever you say? Lord, might you do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine? We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, outside the Bible, I don't read tons of books, but there is one book that I read just about every year. I kind of ha- constantly have a bookmark in it, and I'm taking it on vacation, and that book is called The Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read it, I encourage you to, to pick it up. It's an allegory of a guy named Christian who becomes aware of a burden on his back. It's his sin. He doesn't know what to do with it. He's haunted by it. And a guy named Evangelist comes and tells him, you're in the city called Destruction, and the wrath of God is about to fall upon it. So what you need to do is you need to flee to the celestial city by faith. And the whole book is an allegory of the Christian life. He encounters all sorts of people along the way, some that try and help him toward heaven, some that try to hinder him, and it's his perseverance all the way there. If you haven't read it, highly commend it. Um, There's some more readable versions than others. Uh, One of the Bens can help you figure out which one. I'm going to read one of the opening scenes. This is the very beginning where Christian becomes aware of what he's supposed to do. He says, I do not know where I should go. He's speaking to evangelists because he's got this burden on his back. He doesn't know what to do. Then he, evangelist, gave me a parchment, a roll. And there within was written this, flee from the wrath to come. And he said, where should I flee? And he says, do you see yonder wicked gate? He says, no. He says, do you see yonder shining light? And he said, I think I see it. He says, keep that, li- that light in your eye and run to it. Run to it. And when you come to the gate, knock. And they will, be t- there, they will tell you what to do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and his children, seeing what was happening, began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life, eternal life. So he would not look behind him, but he fled toward the middle of the plain. And then his neighbors also came out to see him run. And as they saw him run, some mocked, others threatened, and some cried out for him to return. But he said, but I can by no means do that, for I am going to the celestial city. If you're not familiar with Christianity, this this is the call of the gospel. Is that we have a burden on our back, dead in our trespasses and sins, 
and God in His mercy alerts us to the good news that you don't have to stay dead in your trespasses and sins, but the Lord Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead, and that in Him you can be forgiven, and that you've got to flee toward Him by faith. I encourage you to follow how Christian's journey goes, but as the Gospel goes out, that good news, it spreads and churches are planted. And this morning we're going to look at one particular church called the, a, a, a church, uh, letters written to, the, called the Hebrews. And it's this, this congregation who had begun this journey toward the celestial city. They had heard the good news of the Gospel and they were running by faith. But they were being tempted to go back. Because there's always a temptation to call you back to the world, back to your former sins, back to your former life. And the author of Hebrews, what he is doing is he is presenting before them the reason that they should not return, and that is Jesus. That he is greater than anything that you could ever long for in this life. And so they, he lifts Jesus up to warm their hearts, and then he warns their hearts with continual exhortations all the way through the book. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to, we're going to journey through and make three stops through the book of Hebrews that help us to understand how God uses the local church to help you to make it to heaven. So if you want to summarize what we're talking about this morning, it goes something like this. God uses His church to help you to heaven. God uses His church to help you to persevere in faith and cling to Jesus all the way home. And in light of that, we have three points. Pursue protecting relationships. Pursue provoking relationships. And pursue pastoral relationships. Let's consider the first one. Because God uses His church to help you to heaven, first and foremost, pursue protecting relationships. Hebrews chapter 3. Listen to this, verses 12-14. through 14. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So this congregation that would have looked a lot like this congregation, people from all kinds of walks of life, they were meeting together and they were trying to follow Jesus, but the congregation was under attack. They were, they were threatened. They were persecuted for their faith. And they were being tempted for them particularly to return to Judaism. To go back to the law and the prophets and the sacrificial system rather than looking to the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the sacrificial system in, in Christ. And so what the author of Hebrews does is he gives this church an example to avoid. And the example that he presents to them is the Exodus generation. The generation who heard the good news about a promised land and the slain lamb that if they would hide under his blood and then persevere through the, the great splitting of the Red Sea that God would, would take them home. And they had begun that journey, but they, did, they fell short. They did not persevere in faith. They didn't have saving faith, which is persevering faith. And they, they fell short. And so the Hebrews congregation faced the same sort of pressure. Behind them, the, the pleasures of Egypt called. Before them, the giants of Canaan threatened. And the exhortation is, take care. Take care. The word means to be on guard, to, to be on the, the alert, to, to watch out for. It's a posture of the heart 
that the church is supposed to have, one of, of vigilance, of sober-mindedness. It's in the present active imperative, which I typically don't just show the, the underwear of the, the original language, but the reason I do it is because it helps you understand that this is a, it's an ongoing command that you are supposed to do all the way. So it's continually cultivate non-stop attentiveness. That is, that's the command for the church. Stay alert. And, and it's for the whole church. It's for brothers and sisters. Any one of you. So it's, it's a word for the entire congregation. So Trinity River, hear this. Take care. But it's of equal concern for every member within Trinity River. So Ben, take care. Anna, take care. Jesse, take care. John, take care. Ryan, take care. Jill, take care. Every one of you, take care. Why? What's the danger? Lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. The kind of... and Again, this is written to Christians. It's a warning for Christians. There's no cruise control in the Christian life. It's, it's the kind of heart that Israel had that grew cold toward God's presence. They became calloused toward His promises. They became disinterested in the things that pleased Him. And I'm not talking about the normal struggles that every believer has. There's no Christian who doesn't have doubts and struggles. And, and, and that's, that's, that's normal. We all see in a mirror dimly and walk by faith and not by sight. We're talking about a disbelieving heart. It's a deadly posture. A deadly posture of the heart that, that kind of shrugs off God's Word. This disinterested in him. It leads you, here it says, to fall away from the living God. I'm not, I'm not following Jesus anymore. I'm going back to Egypt. I'm going back to my old life. To my old life, to my old lovers, I'm going back, back there. But those who persevere in faith, they think differently, right? You remember Peter, whenever uh, John was talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood, and everybody's like, we're out. And Jesus turns to his 12 and he says, Are you guys going to leave me too? And you remember what, John, uh, what Peter said? Where shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We got no plan B, Jesus. All chips on you. There's nowhere else to go. But I think we all know that same, that same bold man. Later on in another scene, when the pressure was on, he, he denied Jesus three times and he ran away. We're all temptable in that way. That's why we need help to persevere. This is why this, is, this command is given. This promise is given. This portrait of Jesus is given. The church is, is given. I want to say, uniquely, the temptation toward having this sort of heart toward God comes a lot of different ways, but particularly when you're suffering. There's never a time that you can feel so justified in being angry with God. When saying, God, you should not have treated me this way in the midst of suffering. Please don't try and suffer alone. This is why you need one another. Because one of God's antidotes to apostasy, to the falling away, is the church. It's, it's, the way, it's one of the ways God helps you to persevere. And that is the pattern all the way through the book of Hebrews. Whenever God gives a warning about don't fall away, He then says, here's how you don't, here's how you don't fall away. You look at Jesus together. It's, it's Jesus and the church holding you fast. Jesus calls this church to be a community who protects one another's souls, who helps each other toward heaven. 
It's a family that's not, not supposed to grow lazy toward, toward one another and not allow one another to grow lazy toward the Lord. Because you've got to understand, life is not like a lake. So you could sit on this lake and the wind might blow you a little bit. It's more like a river where the, the current is flowing toward hell. It is flowing toward the city of destruction and the only thing you have to do to go to hell is what is natural. This is why you need God's grace and His people to cling to you as you cling to Christ to help you to persevere all the way home. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So just briefly, who, who do we exhort? One another. Christians have a responsibility toward one another. Christianity is not an individualistic sport. This is, this is not golf. Okay, This is it's a family. It's a community. When, Cain, when God said to Cain, where is your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? But the answer for the Christian is, yes, I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. Is that you are, as in your following of Jesus by faith, willing and desirous to be regularly exhorted and regularly exhorting others to follow Jesus faithfully. So who do we exhort? One another. How should we exhort? The word is very interesting. It has lots of different uses. I encourage you to study them all later. But the, the, the word means to urge or to plead. It can be used to encourage when someone's suffering and they're, they're, they, they've had failures or losses and it's hard and you want to encourage them. It can be used for comfort in the midst of sorrow and despair and grief. It can be used to, to warn false teaching, unwise decisions, those sorts of things. It can be used to reprove someone. It has a vast array, and that's, that requires you to know one another. You can't just, hey, how's it doing? I'll, I'm better than I deserve. Praise the Lord. All right, let's go. Like, that's not Christianity. I mean, it, you can say that and be a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But like, it's, it's more than that. Okay? It's more than that. So how should we exhort in all the ways that are needed? Why do we exhort? Verse 13, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is constantly making war against your soul. And it's Notice it says here that it's deceitful. Sin always, you remember it says, um, God says to Kate, sin is crouching at your door. Sin crouches to appear smaller than it really is. It's deceitful. It's tricky. It's, it doesn't seem as big a deal when you give in to this little one and that little one. But just as if you have a bucket of water and you put one scoop of concrete in, you're like, that's not that big a deal. But another and another and another. And soon and very soon, the whole thing is hard. That's what happens to a heart that doesn't confess and repent of sin. It, it hardens toward, toward God. This is why you can't fight sin alone. A number of years ago, I heard a story, true story, about a guy named Andy and uh, uh, the other guy's name was Richard. Andy was a brand new believer. He'd come out of a crazy background. And uh, he and Richard were in the same church. They also worked together at a, at a plant. Um, and... Anyway, one day Andy came in and he told, he told Richard, he goes, man, I'm just feeling so tempted. He goes, I, just, I can feel it on me. On the way home, there's this, there's, this, there's this bar that there's a fork in the road. If I go home, if I go left, I go home. If I go right, I go to this bar that I've stopped at every day for, for the past 15 years. And I'm just, I'm so stressed out. I don't know how I'm going to keep going. I just, I really want, could you just pray for me? And he did what Christians do. They say, well, I'll pray for you, brother. Um, 
And he did. He prayed for him right then. Well, um, Richard got off a little bit earlier, um, and Andy left work. And he goes outside, and it's pouring rain. And he gets in his car, and some of you know exactly what this feels like. He turned on the key, and the first thing he thought was, I'm going to that bar. I, I, I'm going. And he started driving home. And as he's driving through, and the windshield wipers are going, move, moving the water, he, he saw something in the median. And there standing in the median was Richard with a sign, with an arrow pointing toward his house. And he turned left and he went home and he never went back again. That's what the church is to be. It's to be people who do whatever it takes to help one another, to keep eyes on Jesus and to follow him. You are too weak to make it home by yourself. You need one another. And when should we exhort? Every day. Every day. Because sin comes at us day by day, we must come for one another day by day. I've said it already, but being a Christian is not a Sunday a.m. hobby. It is, it's your life. You're following Jesus. So you help one another. Build relationships with one another. Spend time with one another. Move past the pleasantries. Who knows you? I mean, really knows you. And if there's nobody yet who knows your deepest, darkest struggles and sins, Please do not allow your pride to hinder you from the very thing that God's providing to help you to make it home. Be willing to humble yourself. If you don't know how to do that, talk to your pastors. Say, listen, I don't know, I don't know how to live that way. I've never lived that way. But I want to. I need God's grace in my life. Help me. Every day. Exhort every season. For, he tells you why, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So assurance of your salvation comes not because you prayed a prayer, checked a box, walked an aisle, got dunked, are a member of a church, pointing back to something that happened back then. That may be true what happened back then. That is not where assurance of salvation comes from for the believer. First John says, he who has the Son, present tense, has life. Your assurance of your salvation comes, are, do you love Jesus today? I'm not talking about perfectly, but are you trusting Him? Are you clinging to Him by faith? He's all I've got. Yes, but it's weak. Well, then you're His and He is yours and cling to Him and let's keep doing that. So the way that you know that indeed you have partaken is that you partake at the end. That you persevere all the way home. Saving faith is persevering faith. That's, 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 just, that's the good news laid before you. You are justified, saved, secure. How do you know? Because you made it home. It proves itself. And the church is the means to help you to make it all the way home. And note the urgency. Exhort, every, exhort each other every day as long as it is called today. There is a day coming when all other days will cease and Christ will return and our hope will be fulfilled. But because God uses the church to help you to make it to that day, pursue protecting relationships. Second thing is you need to pursue provoking relationships. Pursue provoking relationships. Look over at chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24 and 25. Pursue provoking relationships. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you notice you're going to notice all the way through. What is in view for these people is that day. 
It's that, that we sang about the harp, the harp song. Harp, what is it? Harky, okay. har, that one. The harka here. Like, we're, that one. Like, strike up the band. We're going home, right? Like, we, that's where our heart is set. And that's what's laid before them because that's where Jesus is, right? So not, not only do we need protection from sin with the help of, of one another, but we also need to be provoked by one another in doing good deeds. Because a saving faith is a working faith. Faith without works is dead. It's going to show itself in the life of Christ being produced in you by His Spirit. It's going to show itself. And we need help to fan that into flame in one another's lives. So he says again, let us consider. It's the same sort of word that we heard before. Take care. This is a tune-in sort of, of exhortation. Be careful. Give, uh, contemplate this. Meditate upon this. Again, is in the It's on all the same tenses. So continually consider. And I'm sorry for all the grammar. I I didn't even pass grammar, so it's it's risky that I'm doing this, but I did check it out. But the direct object uh, of consider is one another. That means it's pointing to consider what? Consider one another. Consider one another is is how the the text is rendered. rendered. God says continually consider one another. One another. Look at one another. Think about one another. Focus on one another. Study one another with the aim of finding ways to stir up. To, to stir up one another. Now the word stir up, it means to, to provoke or to, to irritate. Um, uh, it means to instigate a response. Now I have six children. We've never seen this happen in our family, but I've heard some families... <laughs> The children find joy in, in trying to provoke their siblings toward, you know, screaming and yelling and other sorts of, of activities. Um, I'm sorry if that's your family. It's not ours. Uh, pray for us. Um, but, but, you know, if you, had a, if, you had a, if you had a younger sibling, you know what that's, that's like. They tried to provoke you, right? Well, it's that same exact word. And sometimes Christians seem to think that they should use it in that way, but it's, it's not here. The church is to be a people who are continually considering, considering ways to provoke each other not to sin, but to worship. How can I stir you up toward love and good works? By the way, love and good works are two sides of the, the same coin here. You could try and parse it out, but it's, it's, it's basically two sides of the same coin. We show love through good works, through good deeds. So, so love, if you will, is an, an attitude of, of sacrificial care for others. It's an affection for one another. It's a, it's a warm-hearted, tender-heartedness toward one another that desires the good for others, which, by the way, is not natural. natural. Naturally, our heart is selfish. I want to sing the songs I want to sing. I want the service to be as long as I want it to be. I want us to have this many prayers. Or I want this or that, or I want a better view, or whatever, you know. Um, People can grumble about anything. But you know what I'm saying? Like we, can, we can be selfish, right? The opposite of that is love. Whereas I want, I'm here for you. So this is not my notes, but one of the ways I encourage you, some of you will be learning new songs and some of you will not like some of the songs that you'll sing. The good news is that we're not here to worship you. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, just receive that for a second. But like the good news is though that somebody else might really love that song. So the, the, the scriptures actually call you to sing to God, but also to sing to one another. So part of your singing 
maybe even a song that's not your favorite, it's by faith you're using it to build up some other brother or sister who that's the song that they're leaning on to trust to just Jesus for. So sing to God for one another, that's worship, not splitting over what, whether I want a banjo or not. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that's whatever, whatever it is. Rather, this is love toward, toward one another. And good works are tangible, practical service aimed at doing others good. So, Love and good works, in one sense, can be summed up in obedience to God's commands. That's what, when you look at the New Testament, that's what love equals. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, Jesus said. If you love your brother, the way that you relate to them, the way you relate to your sister is, I relate to you by obeying Jesus' commandments in the way that I deal with you. So I am going to not gossip because God commands me to, and that's the way I love you. I'm going to forgive you because that's, an, that's what love looks like. I'm going to speak the truth to you in love. So love and good works are obedience to God's commands. So the exhortation here is, consider one another to the provoking of love and good works in your midst. I'll give you two examples of ways you might think about this would be helpful for this church. One would be the reason that y'all are here. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's called the the Great Commission. So you would apply this part of the sermon by saying, okay, how can I help my brother or sister who I'm getting to know to, to help them to be faithful to Jesus in the call to evangelize and to disciple? So a normal question that Christians would ask one another over lunch is, so who are three or four people that in your life right now that don't know the Lord? How can we pray for them? Have you had any kind of barbecue recently? Maybe we could have them all over. I'd be glad to come. We could do something fun. Maybe a good way to just to get to know. How can we help build relationships? When are you trying to share the gospel with them? Um, I'll be praying for you. Do you want to do a, a Bible study? Maybe we could do like an explorer's group or whatever you want to call it, like for people who want to read through the Bible together. I'll, I'll do that with you. How can I help you? And here's some people that I'm praying for. Would you, would you pray with me about them? And would you ask me if I've talked to them recently? Because it's kind of easy for me to do friendship evangelism, which basically for me means I'm just friends with people who don't know Jesus. And I, I'm kind of scared to talk to them. So like you want to be in one another's lives. That's normal Christianity. That, that's, that's part of what it means to be on mission for Jesus is that you're helping one another. So may this church grow with tons of people who right now are on their way to hell. Because I know this is the Bible Belt, but there are millions of people right now who are running headlong to hell that God is going to help you to, to intersect and make God use this church to rescue many. Pray for, meditate on, think about how to provoke that in one another. Another example. Romans 15, 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So at our church, it's not the South, so people are less polite. Um, and we have, to, we have to encourage people to say hello to people. Now down here, y'all kind of got that down. I Praise the Lord. Um, but um, it's still something that we all need to grow in. So for instance, at our church, there was a, a, a brother and sister, Bill and Katie Deckert, who he had been a pastor. He really he got burned out. He came to our church, was going to go through our internship program, but he had kind of a year before that. They came to the church just hoping to find some grace and to be, find some healing. They, they just needed some, some time to, to get some, 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 some help and healing. So anyway, 
They said that they came for four or five weeks and nobody talked to them, which is pretty atypical at our church, I'll say, but it, it happened. Four or five weeks. Can you imagine just walking in, like some of you felt that this morning. Some of you walked in and nobody even acknowledged that you were here, right? And it felt very isolating, especially when they, they were coming so hopeful that they could be poured into. So Bill said that they, they huddled up after church one Sunday and they said, you know what, I think here's what we're going to do. Rather than get bitter about it, and just go find somewhere else. We think this is where God wants us. So we're going to be for others what we wish people were for us. So they came and they said, what we'd like to do is we'd like to, every new members class, everybody who comes through, we would like all of their names, and we're going to invite them over to our house. And for the next two years, they, every single person who joined our church, they welcomed into their home. And they had either been in their home or they had been welcomed into their home, intentionally, like inviting them. And it changed our church. It changed the church. Because they said, you know what? We're going to do that. And they helped others to do this. Those are just a couple little things. And listen, this is no small thing. Listen to what Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Love and good works, hospitality, greeting one another, helping each other in evangelism, helping each other fight sin is worship. Worship is not just singing. Worship is the Christian life when you're walking in obedience. The whole life is an aroma. May God make that happen here by His mercy. Now one way to enhance our obedience here in the text again is not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So in the Hebrews church community here, evidently, uh, some had shown some serious signs of spiritual atrophy. They, they started not attending anymore. They weren't gathering with, with other Christians. They were neglecting the gathering, which is a, either a symptom of sin, or it is a certainty that they're about to get into sin. It's, it's always one of the two. Now, what might tempt somebody to not, to not gather? Well, maybe, maybe for them it was fear of association because of persecution. Some people might be, there's been wounds. Some of you have been hurt by churches. Some of you, it took a huge act of faith to be here this morning because of how bad you've been hurt by other churches. For some of it's, it's idolatry. Things that just sap your affections. Some of you are just watching those boats thinking that's where I should be. You know, I mean, it's, it's tempting. I feel it, I feel you. Um, you know, I mean, lake houses. You know, I'm just, I'll, I'll come to church once a month, but we... You know, we, we podcast it out at the lake and we do our thing. I just want you to know it's not safe for your soul. We have kids who are in travel sports. I want you to know, like you can tell the coach, I'm sorry, we won't be there until one o'clock on Sunday because we're Christians and we go to, we go to church. And if they say, well, your kid's not gonna be on the team, then guess what? That's okay. Because your kids know, need to know to follow Jesus more than they need to know how to ball. So all that to say, like, there's lots of things that might tempt you. I think it'd be a good conversation over lunch. What, what tempts you to not gather? What, what is it that might tempt you to be hindered? And neglecting to assemble is not just a personal sin. It is a serious corporate sin. If we neglect assembling, love and good deeds will be stifled. Spiritual growth will be stunted. Evangelistic efforts will be stalled. The church's life will suffocate. This is a warning. Don't neglect gathering together. So like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, which means I have to go to church. And 
It is so good for me to be a pastor. Uh, Mark Dever, who was here a few uh, weeks ago, we sometimes joke that we're not good enough Christians to not be pastors. Um, and what we mean by that is like, I have to go to church. I have to read the Bible. I have to be in it. And it, it helps me because there's so many times like I don't want to come. I love, love y'all. I'm glad to be here. But there's times when you don't want to go that by faith you go and then afterwards you're like, I needed that. And that, this is why, we, again, we walk by faith. We need this. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So our encouraging must have an ever-increasing urgency and intensity to it. It's a matter of necessity. As the day is drawing near, you do realize that we are now nearer than when we first believed. Now nearer than when you first got up this morning. Now nearer than when we first sang the first song. Now nearer than when I stood up here. Now nearer than when that last sentence had just fell from my lips. You're closer to seeing Jesus. We're almost home. And as that day gets closer, we should not get lazier. We should grow all the more in intensity and urgency. He's coming soon. Let's get ready. Who doesn't know the Lord? Let's go. This is what we're here. And, and there's a warning also. Jesus says that as, as the day draws near, opposition will increase. Listen to this. Matthew 24.10 Many will fall away and betray one another, hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray because lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. As the day draws, draws closer, Satan's attacks grow stronger. This is one of the hardest things for me as a Christian, having been a Christian now some 24 years, is to watch people who started following Jesus not follow Jesus anymore. Who, who now are, are too smart for God's Word. Who now just know better than God. Who, and I mean this in the kindest way, who because of harm done to them in the name of Jesus will now reject Jesus. And I just want to say again, if, if you have been hurt by a church, that is not me making light. I just want you to keep it in perspective. Jesus never hurts you. Jesus will never hurt you. He is always faithful. And the, and the thing that I've seen time and time again is that one of the ways that Jesus will help heal you is through the church. It's not apart from the church. And listen, if that's you and you're struggling and it's really hard, talk to your pastors. Come and just say, I just want you to know I've had some really hard church stuff in my background and it's hard for me to trust. They'll go slow. They'll be patient. They're, they're good pastors. But, but don't, don't turn away from Jesus because others have blasphemed and been hypocritical in his name consider one another fight one another, fight not fight one another fight for one another <laughs> help help each other to heaven because the day is coming soon there's a family in our church kyle and aaron brown aaron got I'll do this short. aaron got cancer very severe, aggressive cancer. Um, and she was progressing in that and Kyle loved her so well. I wish cancer was horrific and I long for the day where it will be no more. But God used that suffering to change them. In suffering, people either turn their face away from Jesus or they turn their face toward him. And they turn their face toward him. And something happens when you behold Jesus. And he was all they had, and it changed them. She radiated with glory. And he 
just gave up all of his selfishness and just served her and served her and served her. Well, about a year ago, a week ago, a year ago, so about 53 weeks ago, um, Kyle said, I, I think she's going home soon. And I'm wondering if after church today, everybody could come over and I'm going to open the windows and let's just, could the whole church come around the house and just sing? Because Aaron loves to sing. And so that was the plan. Well, that morning she died. And Kyle got up and said, would you all please still come? And so several hundred people came around the house and sang hymns. And it was, it was, it, it, you could tell, it just held Kyle up. Well, last week he asked if everybody would come back on the year anniversary. And uh, he got up at the beginning and he said, I just want to thank you all for coming again. And he said, I, I want you to know that your encouragement last year has been what God has used to hold me up this whole year. And I think every time I walk into this backyard about the way that you came and you sang and you lifted me up and you held me, thank you for coming again. That's what the church does. That's what the church is to be. We encourage one another every day until sin is no more and cancer is no more and death is no more. Come soon, Lord Jesus. So we need protecting relationships and provoking relationships and finally pastoral relationships. Chapter 13, the final chapter of the book. One verse, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So within the church, God calls pastors and people together to love one another intentionally with the aim of helping one another to, to heaven. And the command here is for the church to respond to the pastors that God gives to the church as a gift in a particular way. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. The word obey, it means to follow, to pay attention, to be persuaded by. It's in the present tense again, which means to have the posture of always desiring to be persuaded by your pastor. Also to submit, um, which by the way, it's going to be really clear, they did not ask me to preach this. I just thought what might be helpful that they wouldn't have to preach, so here you go. Um, but it's in the Bible, so this is God's word for you. Submit then to yield to authority. To not resist them. And this is also in the present tense. So keep on obeying. Keep on submitting to your leaders. Now, I will say once again that for some of you hearing that, it is terrifying because you have been hurt by wicked church leaders. Remember that God cares for you and that He will use good pastors to help you to be, find healing and grace from bad pastors. So as you join a church, follow leaders who follow Jesus. And, and I'll say it for them, we say this at our church, as if I, I tell our church, if I start, and in our membership class, I tell them, part of your job is to fire me if I start lying to you about God. Like, fire me. So fire them if they start lying to you about God. That's your job. But make sure that it's, that it's them that's not following Jesus. Because people can very easily think that they're right, and they're actually warring against God. And they're not actually warring against the evil one. But follow leaders who follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.10 Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So elders should, should teach and, 
and, and, and use Scripture and counsel. And as they do, the, the heart of the congregation should be feed me, lead me, show me the way. Help me to grow in, in Jesus. This doesn't mean, of course, that elders get to control your, your lives and that you can't question them. These brothers are humble brothers. They would desire to hear if you have questions or concerns. Please, a healthy church would be able to talk about things. That, that's normal as well. And there are abusive, manipulative leaders. But, and run from those. But that, as far as I know, that is not these brothers. Uh, I know of this brother well, this Ben. And this Ben, I've served with for years. And I, I, I know these brothers. And I wouldn't be here commending them if I, if I thought otherwise. But it does mean that as they teach you, examine what they say and apply what they say. Receive it. Listen to it. And talk to them about stuff. Are you moving are you going to date? Is there troubles in marriage? How you steward your money? Is there sin that you're struggling with? Are you wrestling with a call to ministry? Should I go overseas for missions? Like, talk about those sorts of things with your pastors. They're here to help you get spiritual guidance. Um, yeah, I'll skip that. Um, why? Why should you do this, though? For they are keeping watch over your souls. They are keeping watch over your souls. This word, particularly for the elders of this church and those who aspire to be, elders, you are men whom God has entrusted with, with souls. On the last day, you will give an account for what was said to these saints. How you loved them. How you bore with them. How you cared for them. He calls you to keep watch. Right? So it's, again, it's the present tense. Be alert. Be, uh, to lie awake, is, is, it could be translated. To go to sleep, not sleep, because you're giving special attention to them. Keep watch over their, their souls. Jesus is the Savior. Nobody gets that twisted. Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. All of that is true, but one of the ways that Jesus helps is through pastors. He helps His people persevere by giving them godly shepherds who help them to follow Him. Brothers, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Not that you're your own Savior or their Savior, but true teaching keeps eyes on Savior. Right living keeps eyes on Savior. Teach God's Word. That's what they need. This is why people are here. They're hungry for a church. I'm sure there's lots of other good gospel preaching churches, but people are here because they want to hear God's word. Feed them the word. Tell them the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Love them. Be tender. Be patient. Be, be tough and tender. Courageous and compassionate. Bold and benevolent. Do not be cowardly. We live in a day that is driven by fear and cower and bend the knee to the, to the culture. Do not. Love Jesus and love them by telling the truth in love. And do it again with the last day in view. Keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. A day is coming when everyone give an account. Matthew 16.27 The Son of Man is going to come with His angels in, in the glory of His Father and then He will repay each person according to what He has done and elders are not exempt. The day of judgment, we will all give an account for everything. Pastors, particularly for the way that you, you love the flock. So may that be before your, your heart. And as we await that day, aim in the same way that, that Paul did, seeing your job is to help present the bride ready to Jesus. Listen to Paul, 
2 Corinthians 11, I feel a divine jealousy for you, church, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That's the aim of pastoring. I want to help you be ready to see your Lord. Help Him to heaven. And it's, a, it's a joy, it says. So it's it's to, be a, to, be a, to be a joy. So let them do this with joy and not with, with groaning. Um, your pastors will serve faithfully, but imperfectly. They will do things wrong. Please, this word, I mean, I'll say it again. Do this with, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Please don't give them something to groan about. You can find stuff to gripe about. Everybody can do that. We can always find things to gripe about. But don't tempt your pastors to hate caring for you. Which, by the way, I want to say, I've heard none of that. They love this church, and they're eager to see how God might use you. But it says, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, be teachable, not resistant. Be encouraging, not critical. If, they, if you hear them say something that was helpful, drop them a note, say, hey, thank you. Be unifying, not divisive. There's nothing that breaks a pastor's heart more than to see people be divisive. Be eager, not apathetic. And Trinity River, you do this all with that last day in view. Knowing that God uses His church to help you to persevere in faith in Jesus. So pursue protecting relationships to help one another not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And pursue provoking relationships to help one another flourish in love and good works. And pursue pastoral relationships, helping one another to follow the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, until we see Him face to face. Let's pray. Oh Father, we pray that You would help each of us to, to live in light of this passage. Would You help us to be a people who love You and love Your Word. And Lord, I pray a particular blessing on this church that You would bless them protect them, provide for them, give them everything they need? Would you raise up more pastors that there might be godly brothers who would care well for the flock? Would you raise up godly brothers and sisters to, to minister here in ways that would be uh, evident and that you would provoke much love and good works here? And Lord, might none who are in the hearing of this word not make it home to glory. Oh, give help. In the name of Jesus, amen.